0: Thank you. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spirit Talk. And finally, uh, what seems like maybe six months trying to get Darren McBee on the show. Uh, we finally have him here. Uh, you guys may recognize Darren as the iconic Malibu from American Gladiators, Motaro, uh Mortal Kombat Annihilation, and a slew of action movies where growing up, whether it's T force Cage 2 The Killing Zone, a uh, bunch of my favorite action movies growing up. And uh, again, uh, Darren, it's great to have you on here today. Oh, uh, thrilled to be here finally, John. And, uh, yeah, so it's, growing up as a kid, I was uh, – I'm big into VHS. And so right. with the blockbusters and stuff, when there going around, my friends and I in high school would always find, like, these really dollar store VHS places in the transition to DVD and all that stuff. And we just went down this rabbit hole where it's, like, everything from Hellraiser to – Anything you can find for a nickel or whatever, is 10 for a dollar. And I one of the trends I noticed um, is a lot of the movies, you were always in the movies, whether it is Cage 2, The Killing Zone, uh, T-Force. And yeah. some of these roles where it's kind of – and it's, like, it's just really surreal for me because when I started this podcast, there are a list of people I wanted to have on there. It so was 25 people. You were one of the names because, again, growing up, you always either played the hero or this really cool right. henchman uh it was for me to have you out here at right Dallas, actually really really cool
1: oh man thank you very much man and, and you know it's funny you mentioned those those roles it's like i would have people tell me like hey man i saw you on tv last night but yeah it was about <laughs> three o'clock in the morning after i came home partying all night and there you were and i go yeah that's usually when my movies end up on television <laughs> so
0: it uh and I kind of want to jump into it before we actually talk about certain roles. Um, one of the cool things for people that have the chance to follow you on social media, namely Facebook, you are very inspirational. Um, you're very – you motivate others. And I guess kind of my first question is Is how long did it take you to become that person? Was there a specific shape, hardship in your life uh, that made you become this person? Is there trial and error in your life? Because if someone that's not familiar with you just stumbled on your page, you'd be like, man, this, this guy is – like really, is it, maybe it's the faith, maybe it's whatever it is, but you're very positive. I think that's something the last couple of years that people really need to feel feel that positivity.
1: Well, I, I'm glad you asked me that question. You know, it's funny that a lot of people realize that when I was a young kid in high school, I was about 120 pounds soaking wet at about five foot six. And Um, I didn't really start to grow until I was a senior in high school. So I got bullied in school. I was very insecure. Um, but I always had a a great athletic ability and, um, and I had faith that I was going to make something out of myself. I didn't know what it was going to be, but I just always seemed to believe that, uh, I could do better, um, than I was doing in high school. And, um, Of course, I think the most important thing for me was my faith in in Jesus Christ. um, I became a Christian when I was 13 years old, and uh, it was a really important time in my life because my parents had gotten a very brutal divorce, and I was a very young man. And so I really felt like I was abandoned by my father. Growing up, and so um, my faith in Christ really filled a a terribly huge void in my heart um, that was broken. And so at that point, I think I just always wanted to strive to achieve the best, uh, the best Darren to be the best Darren I could possibly be uh, in whatever endeavor I took.
0: One of the, the people who follow this podcast uh, know I'm very with my faith. I'm Catholic. I grew up Catholic. I all this stuff. And I'm very, and I try not to make this podcast religious because I've had guests out here are atheists. I've had right. uh, Hindu, whatever, whatever belief, I don't care. Be a good person. And right. I'm glad you touched upon that because so many people get lost in this idea of, well, I don't believe in God or I don't believe in this. But for me, it's like, take all that out. Just like politics, take it all out. What is the nitty gritty of a really good person? And again, you kind of help people. I just, the people that post on your stuff, when you post a meme or a, a positive yeah. message, people are just, they needed that for the day. And it's, right. that you, don't, you don't need a religion to be that good of a person. And it's really right. cool, again, to see you really proud of who you are.
1: Well, thank you. I mean, it, it is a core person. I mean, the core value of who I really am, and and um, it's it's not affected. It's not a you know a put on. It's just who re- who I really am, and um, it's really important to me. Especially now, when you look at today's world, it's just so beaten up and so battered. And especially the ni- last nine months of what's been going on with our country, that people are down. They're hurting and they're crying out and they're looking for hope. Um, And they're looking for for help. And that's one of the reasons why I love being here at Hope Recovery Center, because Sean, the owner, is truly one of the most spiritual, godly people I've ever met. And he solely runs this, this place and not only does podcasts, but he reaches out and helps anybody that's struggling from depression, pain, suffering, addiction, whatever. They're all welcome here to come in and get healing, get hope and get love. And so to me, that's what my life is all about.
0: It's, the, it's so easy to be mean or to yeah. be a bad person. It takes a lot of work, I think, to, to be that good person. I think people are afraid to put in the time to be yeah. that. But just holding yeah. the door for someone or just saying, God bless you when they sneeze. Yes. Or I, it, it's a day and age where it's be a nice person. Yeah. Just be a genuinely good person.
1: Yep. And it's funny, we did a podcast with a friend of mine named Rick Bassman, who's a really super sharp guy. He um, he was a, a motivational speaker. He also uh, was a concert promoter. He was an agent for me for a while. But uh, Rick and I did a show called Be Good. And it was just all about what you're talking about. It's just, you know, no matter what you do, no matter who you are, no matter what you believe, just be good. How about just be nice? You know, and and you just you're right. You don't see that a lot today. And uh, you look at the things that go on in Facebook. Some of the horrible things that people will say to each other. It's it's painful, and hurtful. And you're right. It's so easy to be negative. It really, really is. But it it takes some work to be focused. Pull yourself out of the gutter. Pull yourself. I'm not talking about my myself. You know, waking up on a tough right. day and saying, listen. I'm having a rough day today. But if I can make somebody else happy or be a blessing in somebody's life, then I feel so much better about who I am
0: right and for those people that aren't familiar with the story your dad walked out on your, your mom and yourself and your childhood was traumatic and yeah. I know people today they've gone with the kid parents whose kids who go out through divorces or uh, traumatic instances death and stuff like that and sometimes it's 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 tough for me to kind of see people struggle and not come out of those those trenches they kind of and they're not necessarily digging their own trenches but they get kind of laid down in this dirt pile, they don't know how to get out And right. What advice do you have for those people that, that have gone through something you have, or maybe something worse or less than, but right. the people that are reaching out for help, like how do you kind of motivate them to keep reaching out for help?
1: Right. You know, and I'm glad you, you asked that question because it's a really good question. Uh, it's true. You know, I, I grew up in a family that seemed to be like the perfect Beaver Cleaver family. My dad would kiss me goodnight every night. He told me he loved me. And um, I remember when I was 10 years old, my dad's best friends got a divorce. And I asked my dad, would you ever do that to my mom? And he promised me he would never leave my mom. Well, six months later, um, my father, who was like God to me, said, I'm leaving your mom. And um, it was like my whole life was blown apart. And unfortunately from that devastation, my mom became an alcoholic. My sister became very promiscuous. My brother was a huge party animal and uh, he still struggles today off and on. Um, And my sister ended up unfortunately drinking herself to death at 42 years old. Um, just horrible things that happened. So when I looked at that, you're right, I could have easily gone into a downhill slide. I could have easily, you know, just said, well, life, you know, sucks and I'm going to give up and screw the world and all that. But, you know, I really believe that the, the faith inside of me and, and God inside of me helped me look at the situation and say, I don't want to be a part of the problem. Okay, I want to be a part of the solution. I want to be somebody out there that will lift people up and encourage people. And I've gone through some hellacious stuff. Um, I at, seven years after my sweet wife died from a uh, a surgery, elective surgery, which was horrible. I had to go to the hospital, and identify the body, and, th- and there she was, looking like she was sleeping. It was horrible. And then two years later, I found my mom dead on the floor from a massive heart attack. So. Um, I I tell this because a lot of people will look at me and go, Oh, this guy's had a perfect life. He works out. He's in these movies. Life is beautiful. That's just not, not not true. I mean, I've been through, you know, hell and back in a lot of ways. And I look at these situations and I honestly, my prayer is, okay, Lord, just help me utilize this tragedy to touch somebody and motivate them and help them because they're going through tough stuff because let's face it, you know, these things happen to everybody. You know, death right. happens, divorce happens, and loss of life happens. And so I really honestly believe this with all my heart. I believe that God has. Um, allowed me to go through these things so that I can use it as springboard to be a blessing and encourage other people because they'll just look at me and go, wow, I had no idea you went through that stuff. You know, thank you so much. And all of a sudden they're a lot more encouraged because it's not coming from somebody who's had everything and, and had a silver spoon in his mouth his whole life, but has been through these trials, tragedies, and tribulations and come out, you know, I think pretty successful and, and with a positive attitude.
0: One of the – or two of the – I don't take a lot of stock into the whole celebrity lifestyle, even though I do security for a lot of them and bands and stuff. But one of the coolest things is the idea – like when Chadwick Boseman, the actor, or the latest – Norman Darnold died recently. They hid their cancer from everyone. And the idea of dying with grace, but they lived there each day to the fullest and did what they loved. And and it's, for me – and, and I try not to look at stuff as bad days because I've got a sick father or uh, I can't see my girlfriend or stuff that's tri- trivial and seem major to me. There's right. a kid who's 12, dying of cancer in Dana-Farber right now. Yeah. And so there's people that – and so you're kind of just like, man, how do I – so the mornings when I wake up, I'm just like, man, I need to conquer this day. But I feel like trash. I have to kind of just take a deep breath and go, man, my life isn't that bad. Right. Sure, I've had people die in my life or divorces and stuff. But you know what? Right. I need to push forward. And right. so for you, when you have those bad days, do you have to kind of step back or like how, what's your process to kind of move forward for that day?
1: Right, another great question. Um, honestly, what I'll do um, is when I'm having a really, really rough day is I will literally sit down and pray. And I will thank God for the blessings I have in my life. Um, And I'll I'll actually, you know, I've gone down and my children are having a bad day. Something happened at school because someone took their milk money or something, you know, and I'll say, listen, can you go to the sink and turn water on? Can you make it hot and cold? Can you flush the toilet? And they're going, yeah, daddy. I said, then we are more successful than the greatest majority of people living in this world right now. And I will look at these things that seem trivial, but they're not because we are so blessed to be in this country and we're so blessed to have these things that people take for granted. You know, just living, uh, for instance, when I've traveled, I've seen people living on dirt floors with no restroom and be 10 people on a one room dirt floor as a family. And here we are, you know, we've got carpets, we got beds, we got showers, we have all these things. and. Unfortunately, people just take those little things, which to me aren't little for granted all the time. So I just try and tell people, I try and take them back and say, look, count your blessings. And also that's a really think, big thing that's help uh, that's helpful is go find somebody else to help. There's somebody out there hurting. I don't care who it is. It's like you said, go open a door for somebody. And when they say thank you, you're going to feel better. And that's how I believe life works. I mean, when you pass it on or pay it forward, whatever you want to call, be a blessing to somebody, you get the blessing right back every single time. At least I know I do.
0: I've noticed the last six months or so when I kind of, I want to do something different every day, whether I'm interacting with someone at a register or a store, right. a store, or wherever it is, ask them how their day is going. And yes. so today, actually, of all places, I'm at the post office. I've seen this woman a billion times, takes the mail. And today, I, I said, like, how's your day going, ma'am? And she had a look at me going, man, she goes, it's going great. Like, thanks for asking. How's your day going? We know each other. And she's just like, you know what? This whole week, I no one ever asked me how my day is going. They just, I I want this, I want this, I want this, give, give, give. And she goes, it was really refreshing. I wish more people did that. And I was like, it got me thinking, how hard is it to say hello to someone? Ask them how they're doing
1: Exactly. And I think and I applaud you for that because so few people do it. Um, And I think the more we do it, the more blessed we are and the more we help other people and uh, we can get ourselves out of those deep, dark slumps that we can tend to fall in into. So I I applaud you for that, brother. That's awesome.
0: And uh, so as we kind of you're going through, you're doing sports, all this stuff. At what point did the fitness kick really kick in uh, that you were like, man, I could make something. I could make something myself here.
1: Yeah, uh, wow, well, that was that's funny. I, I remember watching the movie Rocky when I was seventeen years old or sixteen. Right. And classic. come on, yeah. it was a classic underdog story, and that was me. I'm looking at that guy going, okay, that makes sense to me. I've been beat up, you know. I I'm a you know a loser in everybody else's eyes, but I can go do something. And that something for me was to start working out at the gym every single day, and then I started playing this really cool sport in the late '70s, and '80s called racquetball, which is a huge, huge sport back then. And uh, I became one of the top 10 players I- in the world at the time. And uh, I started building this cool body. And um, before you know it, it was like, man, I'm, I'm doing really, really well. And from there I decided, well, uh, what can I do with my career, which I really want to do. And I became an LA County Sheriff, which was a wonderful experience for me. Um, I was in the police Olympics and the world police and fire Olympics. I got gold medals in both in my sport. And uh, it was awesome. It was just really, really awesome.
0: The law enforcement stuff is super fascinating to me because I never would have pictured you in that role, uh, but having – hearing you talk and just right. how you present yourself, I could see why you'd be effective in that role. And I, I was in law enforcement for eight years. Cool. I know a bunch of friends are still in it. Yeah. And one of the things for me is I could not go through what they went through, these men and women, the last couple of years yeah. uh, with the whole defunding and stuff. And I'm very pro-law enforcement for obvious yep. reasons. Um, but like for you as a cop doing all that stuff in LA County, the idea of the serving the community, the idea of customer service and stuff—I think people get lost in this thing where the police aren't bad people. Like no. they are—they're paid to operate in a gray area that a lot of people can't operate in the white or black area. Right, and right. for you to have have kind of just a taste of that, it says a lot about your character because there's not a lot of people that willingly just want to sign up for that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I thank you for saying that. Um, I was very altruistic when I, when I got on, I thought, you know, I was going to change the world, but I really realized what was going on out there uh, and saw the darkness of what was happening. I, I realized, okay, this is, taken more out of me than I'm able to put back into it. And that's the reason why I finally just kind of turned my badge in and said, I didn't like who I was becoming. And I, I agree with you, most all the police officers I've ever worked with were super great guys. Um, they're under a lot of pressure a lot of times. Um, but unfortunately, there are a couple of, you know, just like any job, just bad people. But the problem is, if you've a, got a gun strapped to your waist and you're a bad person, then we got problems. And uh, I'm hoping, and I know now that the departments are really trying to ferret out the bad people a lot more, and, and doing more psychological examinations and things. But that's going to happen. And sadly, you know, we get this terrible reputation because of a few of these bad guys. And it that's right. heartbreaking.
0: As the you you your badge, it's so the interesting for me is that growing up, obviously, American Gladiators is just monumental. I still watch the outtakes I still watch the outtake or the actual clip of you that's how yeah. I actually found out about you right for YouTube yeah. I'm like my friends and I'm like man this Malibu guy is insane like yeah. just <laughs> it's just a real person and so before I kind of talking to the, the character how did you the trials for that how does that come about is this one of those things where the open casting is every good-looking man woman who's a fitness freak right. looks the part yeah. and how does that must have been insane the trials for this.
1: Well, it's was really, it's funny you asked that because I remember I was sitting on a life cycle writing and this guy next to me was reading a trade paper. I think it was variety. And he says, Darren, check this out. And I go, what? And uh, he says, well, they have got this show called American Gladiators and they're looking for what you just said. They're looking for fit people and they, they need one guy that's kind of a surfer guy and, you know, blonde hair. And I, my hair was long and blonde. And I'm thinking, man, I got to give that a try because I've been training and my body was really finally really looking good and um i was athletic from all the racquetball i played so uh, i went out to a park down in west Hot no, now was uh, i think it was bel-air anyways we um they had an obstacle course and then they had you do how many sit-ups you can do in a minute and pull-ups and things like that and um i crushed it you know i went through and just absolutely crushed it and um they love my look so they had me on a uh, interview with all the producers at one point and uh, i think what got it for me was they put me they told me to stand up against the desk and there was like 10 guys around staring me down and the desk was full of paper and cups and all this garbage and i just went up to the paper and i just cleared it off with my hand and jumped up and sat on it and i go what's up dude it's like that and they fell out laughing they just totally fell out laughing and so that's kind of how like the malibu Brasana was was born now the, the interesting thing was they were going to originally call me Domino, like Domino's Pizza. And um, I looked at and I go, no, dude, my name is Malibu. Come on. And they just, again, fell out laughing. I could go, Domino? Who's Domino? I'm not a pizza delivery dude. And so um, I'm just making them howl laughing. So that's how the whole Malibu name came about.
0: What In terms of the actual – was there ever a point where you kind of got blurred between – Darren in Malibu or is there almost like the is it was it a healthy yin yang uh to between yourself and this character?
1: Well, I there's a lot of me in, in Malibu for sure. Um he was an over the top version of me. And I had a sister, um, I love her, God bless her. Um, she was like one of those valley girls like the quintessential oh my god you know totally all that stuff and so i I lived with her and i thought man i'm just gonna rip off that whole valley girl and you know character and and utilize it and so really that was the smiling and all that that's who i was where all the other guys were being tough and you know gritty and you know trying to tear everybody's heads off i'm thinking no i'm gonna be the laid-back guy who just has a great time no matter what and i think it completely resonated with the the American people—they were looking at, it going, "Man, that guy's cool. We, we like that guy. He gets his butt kicked. He's happy. He wins. He's happy. You know, it, it's all cool with this guy."
0: Oh, I mean, he was just super positive. I think yeah. growing up, for me, like there are certain characters like yourself or uh, Hulk Hogan, he did, or, He-Man, yeah, yeah. or at least these these out of world yeah. characters for me as yeah. a child. I'm just like, yeah. Yeah, they're just really positive people. That if they right. lose, they lose, but when they win, they win. It, it That's was right. Really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you. when. You do the the taping, obviously the first season, but then you kind of just go back, leave, and come back and start doing like the touring. Right. What was the biggest difference for the tour? Like, what's the setup for that? You guys in a big boss roll to the city, do the press promo, and then perform that night, or how'd that kind of work? Kind of work.
1: Yeah, it was really interesting. Um, we started off in Maine, and I remember um, they got us all in a room, and then somebody who. Um, was really savvy on helping people work in front of the microphones, how to answer questions. They, we went through a whole eight hour class with, you know, how do you answer things? And so I learned a lot. It was really fascinating. And then it's like you said, they put us on this rock and roll bus, literally one of those old time rock and roll buses. And it smelled like beer and cigarettes to the max. And um, we got inside and we started going from place to place to place. Well, a funny story, two and a half weeks into our trip, um, the commode broke inside the rock and roll van okay now you can imagine girls guys doing their business and where it broke was it broke over everybody's luggage So the luggage was destroyed. It was like you open that compartment. I was like, whoa, I was like really bad. So, uh, you know, everybody had to get their stuff out and buy new stuff. And uh, I'm thinking, well, welcome to the road finally, (laughs) you know. Um, But then we traveled on and went to different places like uh, Hershey, Pennsylvania, and then uh, Madison Square Garden, which was absolutely awesome to be there
0: when did you realize that the American Gladiators would be this, become this iconic brand? Like, what, yeah. at what point were you kind of like, was it the reruns or was the idea that ESPN wants you for a documentary or whatever, or a, whatever yes. it is? Like, when, what was that moment where you were like, man, I was part of something that's gonna last the dawn of time?
1: Yeah, um, yeah, two times, two, two real, real times, it really kind of got me um, thinking this is amazing. First was uh, about a month and a half after the show started, just started. I went to a TGI Fridays um, with my girlfriend and um, I'm watching people go crazy. They're watching on the monitor at TGI Friday and I'm going, man, what are they cheering for and losing their minds? I look up and there I am doing Powerball and stuff like that. So I go, wow, this is a big deal, you know? And then the second time was actually when I went to Madison Square Garden, I was on the floor of the garden looking up with a sea of like 20,000 screaming people that were there just to see us. And I thought, this is massive. I mean, if you can sell out the garden, that's a big deal. So right then and there, I realized that I was part of something very special and, like you said, very iconic.
0: It's, it was just kind of cool. It still is because it's it promotes fitness. It promotes yeah. people going against good versus evil right. in a sense. And it's, it's a very cool – it's just a great concept. I just remember the Powerball or uh, yeah. the, the gauntlet at the end where you of right. the uh, tennis balls and stuff. It's just so grow, As a kid, how cool would it be? to just shoot that gun at one of these yeah. competitors it's it's yeah. just really cool you're a part of that.
1: No yeah thank you very much and it was fun doing the games too I had a ball during the game so yeah it was great being a part of it
0: and uh, for me we, we kind of hit home. I know we were, we were supposed to record a couple months ago uh, but when thunder passed away, yeah. Um, and then before that, I I remember and you know, I read the book and I Dan Clark Nitro. And so when the men and women of these things, for me as a child, as I get older, they have health issues and they pass mm-hmm. away. It kind of hits home, and it's like not only are these, these people, you don't realize how these people, much these people are in your life, right. whether it's for 30 minutes every week. Or it's yeah. yeah. so, when, when I, I just went back a couple weeks ago, I reread about the Thunder stuff. And it's like, yeah. you, you don't realize, it's like these these people had an impact on your life. And yeah. the more of the times it was a positive impact. And so right. to see someone suffer, it, right. it is. And your reaction to the news, like it was just so genuine. Like this is one of your brothers yeah. that yeah. Uh, obviously went through, yeah, it's, it's sad.
1: Uh, it, it was tough because um, I, I went and was performing with a uh, we did kind of a live dinner theater in Kissimmee, Florida, and um, Shelly Beatty was there and uh, she was siren and she uh, was deaf, but unfortunately she, um, committed suicide and was going through a, just a terrible yeah. depression and what a neat gal, you know, silently suffering and, um, but such a great competitor and a beautiful person. So that was super tough. And then, you know, when I found out that Dan had a heart attack, that, that was heartbreaking, you know, cause he and I kind of did the show together. And so, um, you know, we were, we were good buddies during the show. And then, again, Billy Smith, I mean, he was larger than life. He was Thunder. I mean, yeah. that was massive. Um, it was shocking because when I first heard about he was sick is um, when the ESPN crew said, you know, we want to do the documentary, we want to interview you. And they were interviewing me, and I said, hey, how's Billy doing? How's Thunder? Because I'd heard they went to his house first, and they said, he's not doing good. And I, what do you mean? They said, oh. he just he looks terrible and I'm, I'm shocked. My jaw's hanging down. I go, what do you mean he's terrible? And he goes, yeah, he was kind of on a walker and and thin. And, and so they, they said he's just really not doing well. And so, um, I was devastated, of course. Um, you know, I was never super close with him, but I sure respected that guy, like nobody's business. Um, and I'm still not sure what the, you know, what the final, final cause. Right.
0: But there's not a lot of men and women who were American Gladiators to be right. part of that brand. And so right. how often – and obviously you still have your friends. And not, I don't care about the drama or all that stuff. But in terms of when someone passes like that, do you kind of all kind of like reach out to somebody? Hey, man, how you doing? How are you doing? Like stuff yeah. like that. Because the community is so small
1: yes 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 i mean it was it was heartbreaking too when lee passed away hawk you know i worked oh with him. yeah jeez. and i mean so, talk about a guy who was super talented not only was he an amazing athlete a good-looking guy but he was brilliant i mean he had one of the sharpest minds of anybody i've ever met in my life so i'm looking at this guy going man the sky's the limit ahead of this guy what he's got in his future and all that stuff and and such a neat personality very positive um so another shocker, uh, you know, to hear that that happened uh, to him, unfortunately.
0: One of the uh, people again to follow follows podcast know I love Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Um, I've had Margie Holden on the program, Keith Cook, and I'm a huge supporter of J.J. Perry, uh,
1: yeah. Ray Park, everyone
0: associated with that movie. Yeah. And yeah. again, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on here because you, I, I've always loved Centaurs, and you yeah. play this large the life, Montaro. So. How did that kind of, again, was that one of those cast attempts where they, hey, we need a big, muscular guy, uh, it's agile, athletic, would look the part. Like, how does that kind of get put out there? Because were you familiar with the franchise when they put the audition stuff out?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was always a fan of Mortal Kombat. I thought that was just a wicked cool looking game. And and uh, I had heard one thing about this Motaro character that he was like the unbeatable tough guy of the game. Like if you get past Motaro, I mean, that's a big deal. And that's kind of all I knew about it. But yeah, I got a I got a interview. Um, went down, did my interview and, uh, they, they liked my look. They were just, it was more like a physical checkout to see if you were the right size and stuff. And, um, then the next one was a martial arts interview to see how well I moved and, you know, could fight and things like that. I mean, I went through five different interviews for this and, um, originally they, I think they hired a guy that was pretty much bigger than I was, but he just, he couldn't, he didn't have the acting chops because the character needed to be able to be a decent actor. So, um, I was blessed with this part, man. And, and, uh, I had so much fun. I had a great time working with, with red, um, who played Sabre, uh, we yes. had a ball, great time together. And of course the epic fight we had, uh, is he, you know, he played Jax and I played Motaro. So we just had a ball together.
0: And I think it's I think over time that movies have become that cult status, yeah. um, where people are like me just really appreciate it. the audacity, the filmmakers and crew, the cast had so much fun making this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of the things when Margie or Keith were talking about it, they were just saying, I asked them, I go, what was craft services like? Like, what do you, yeah. when you guys are all backstage, you have world championship martial artists, you have, I you have these guys, action icons, just walking right. around in character and costume. Like, how do you kind of just like step back and be like? I get up my game. If I, my fight sees today, all these people could be watching me. Like how do you kind of right. – does that motivate you when you do a movie like that, when you know there are world champions or martial artists over here or weapons experts over here? They're like, man, i guess to see what this guy brings today.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I got to admit, most every one of those people could outclass me any day of the week in martial arts. So, I mean, I always look at them just so in awe of what their talent was and and just watching them perform. And of course it up my game. I mean, it just made me want to be that much sharper, punch that much harder and look that much more crisp. I think the one thing that I had in my advantage was for my size, I know how to throw really, really good punches and um, I control my body. So I look a lot more flashy than I really am in real life. Um, But yeah, it was amazing. It was just incredible. Uh, JJ Perry, I worked with him at Conan. So, I mean, he's an amazing guy. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a really cool guy. So a lot of those people uh, just looked, looked up to them guys big time.
0: Now, in terms of your martial arts, I know you trained with the Billy Blanks gym, yeah. uh, another good uh, friend of the podcast, Anthony DeLongis, the weapons yes. uh, prop master. And yeah. so when you work with people like that, like, that's a, I mean, Anthony's one of the best of the best, maybe the best oh, yeah. in terms oh, yeah. of weapons and stuff. And when you work with someone like that, how incredible is it for you to be like, this man took his time to train you? It's like, yeah. I just can't wrap my head around It's like right. you have the opportunity as an actor to. If you really want to take this role seriously you can work with some of the best people to get you ready for that role If yes. you had that chance of yes. with anthony that's just, just super rad
1: yeah you know when i first met anthony again at conan he he actually was the second choreographer i worked with Um uh, before him was jr beardsley who was a dear friend of mine and an awesome choreographer, but Tony, I mean, uh, Anthony with his whips and his swords, I mean, he's absolutely like a sword master, a great actor, a great athlete, um, a phenomenal person. So, you know, I felt super blessed to be able to be trained by him. I'm just, you know, a lot of times you just want to pinch yourself, you know, it's like, what am am I doing here with these amazing people? Um, You know, and thanking God every second, but yeah, it's, it's like, I want to shine for these people. I want to, you know, look, Better make Anthony proud of me, you know, that kind of stuff.
0: The one of the just one of the last movies I actually rented on VHS was The Cutter. And obviously, I growing up, I gotta watch Chuck Norris, right? And so, but as I get older, I start to research and start putting people together. I'm like, oh, you play the uh, Alex, the repairman, I believe. And I was just kind of like, what as I'm older now, I'm like, I wish that fight scene was longer. Like, you have a chance to go against Chuck, like, in terms of the filming of fight scenes like that at least that one for example because it is chuck norris how fun is it to i mean obviously do what i want with him um uh, right. but even put together a fight scene like part of me thinks that fight scene could have been a lot better
1: yeah 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 um i think because of time constraints and, and i i totally agree with you um that it could have been a lot better um i had my first you know time that I worked with him was, of course, with Walker, Texas Ranger, when I did an episode on there. And uh, I agree. I, I kind of felt like that should have been the Godzilla King Kong fight, you know, in, in the movie. And, uh, you know, I don't have much of a say-so, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, it went quick and fast. And uh, we had two small little fight scenes, and uh, and then we were done. So I, I love watching him work. I love watching him fight. His stunt double is absolutely, insanely talented. I mean, talented, yeah. like him. So I mean, it was like great fighting with him. And I, I was looking forward to it. Yeah. And if, that's happened a couple of times. So it's a little bit disappointing. Um, just because I wanted to have more for my reel. But again, I was so thankful for the opportunity um that I wasn't going to complain, that's for sure.
0: Well you look at something like Cage two and Lufrigdo and Reb right. Brown and all that, and you're kind of like both those movies, Cage One and 2, Matthias Hughes is one of the, one of the other ones. Or it's all these all these legit people like yourself sure. that kind of went through these movies where it's like these kind of fighting tournament movies. It was just really right. cool. Again, where man, I wish there was a five minutes longer in this fight. Yeah, because clearly you bring something to the roles you're in because you're just a believable, right. very uh, o- overbearing. You are a presence, and I, again, another time where I'm like, I wish you did more with this role, or you could have done more sure. with this role.
1: Sure. You know, again, it's uh, one of those things where I feel the same way. But then again, a situation with with Lou, first of all, looking at Lou, I was just absolutely, I don't know what to tell you. I I was, To tell you this. I took a picture. My my daughter was about, I don't know, maybe 18 months and I'm yoked at 245 pounds. And I took a picture next to Lou who's 315 pounds. And when I saw myself, I, I thought I was a stick man. I mean, literally I go, I lost a hundred pounds all of a sudden. I look like, you know what I mean? He's, he's just so massive um, and such a neat guy, but you know, he, he's limited with what he can do fight wise. Um, and so we have to kind of work around what his abilities, you know, dictate. And so that's why things kind of happened the way they did. Um, that's, that's the best give How- give you.
0: And so you, I'm glad you brought that up because in terms of you can look good, you can look muscular, but if you don't have the fitness or the dexterity to kind of pull us off. And so uh, you maintain like when, when, through your career, you, you're obviously still in the gym. Uh, you're obviously still about fitness and eating clean and eating healthy and all this stuff. And so when you're filming itself, How important is structure in terms of, I still have to go to the gym before I film today, or I still have to do this before I pick the kids up. Like in terms of structure about your health, where does that kind of set in your daily, uh, day-to-day activities?
1: Well, it's top of the game really, because I mean, really a lot about what I do is how I look and so if i'm not training consistently as much as possible on the set you're going to see a different darren six weeks later than you are in the beginning and so i want to be looking as good as i can eating as healthy and clean as i can um to stay consistent so i would if i had to train or work 16 hours like i would on say on the batman movies i would end up going to the gym at 10 o'clock at night exhausted and then working out um because i was just that focused on wanting to look and and be as effective and and powerful as i could be on camera
0: now you mentioned kind of the the the, the funniness the hilarity of malibu what you brought to the character but when you do a guest spot to say Kirby your enthusiasm which yeah. was so funny like that seemed like the most genuine that was more like you you like it looked yeah. effortless how right. you'd react to someone like larry david doing what he did right. and so when you right. get to do a show like that how cool is it that here you are you're you're one of the top shows ever and you get called you're you're Thor
1: yeah you know what um that, that honestly is probably a piece of acting is my, I'm most proud of of anything because um, it's unscripted. And so everything is, that you're doing is just off the cuff. And um, I looked at it like, okay, since my character supposedly had two little kids in the car, three little kids in the car, um, I, I've seen parents when they're really, really angry and they want to use a four-letter word, but they'll go, well, eh- poopy pants or they'll say something like that just to get you know a word out and so i thought well how do i just tell them off um and not cuss them out with using four letter words because that's how they had written they said we want you to tell me f you and this and that and i thought you know what that's so that's passe everybody does that let's do something different right and so li- literally at that point, um, I cracked him up three different times where he had to cut and restart filming. And the first assistant director came up to me and said, Darren, you don't understand what just happened. i said, well, what happened? And he said, no one's ever made him laugh on the set, ever. And they said, this is a first, and you've done it three times. So I felt really good about my performance that day that I cracked up. Well,
0: and <laughs> what's funny, what makes that scene so funny is that when you look at you look at you now, you you look like the type of person where if you got rear-ended or something happened, you're gonna go right to 11 and you're gonna start knocking people out, swearing, cussing. And the fact you did it made your character that much funnier and more like it. Just right. truly a great scene.
1: Yeah, thank you, thank you so much. And I'm like I said, I'm super proud of that. And it won some awards, and I um, I still get residual checks from it. But uh, I'm really proud of that piece and very thankful for the opportunity to be able to do it.
0: Now, in terms of other arts, you're, were are made the painting too. And so does that type of art give you the same kind of mental and physical release that say maybe filming like a TV show or movie would be, or is it something, sub- Is it a different type of release for you?
1: Yeah, it's totally, it's totally different. I mean, it's, it's a different mindset, a different zone that I'm in. Um, it's a very peaceful place. Um, it's like, I turn everything out. Whereas when I'm, Doing a martial arts scene or acting scene, I have to be focused on not only myself, but the people around me reacting to them, reacting to what's going on, looking out for safety and things like that. But what's what's interesting about the art thing is I can just totally get into my painting, get into my art, and uh, I really get lost in it. So two different types of things, but
0: very gratifying. Right. It's, it's For me, it's the people that to work out in the gym. Uh, but you also need to do that mental workout. It's cool you have painting where some people can yeah. like the hiking uh, right. or the writing and stuff. So I always find it really cool that people are able to do the, the equilibrium of what they yes. to kind of get that full body-to-body workout. I think yeah. that, that is super important today.
1: Yeah, no, that's a good word. I I, I totally um, resonate with what you're saying. I totally agree. And I also think, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier, it's really important that people do more things for them, for themselves like that, to find, I hate to say that happy place, because that sounds cheesy, but they find that place in themselves where they can have more peace, whether it's riding, you know, whether it's gardening, whether it's riding a bike, you know, talking to a friend, well, it doesn't matter, you know, but you find that place where you can just you know, zen out, you know, and chill out, and and just let your mind be free and be creative.
0: Well, I find I think it's vital that people every day before when they wake up try and find the best version of themselves. And so, whether it is the art or work in or just be a good person, like we talked about. Again, right. it's so easy to do, yeah. people just don't do it. It's right. it's uh, it's frustrating. Right. 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 It, in terms, so I know you mentioned the. Where you, the uh, ministry people can kind of uh, they need help or they need to get away or whatever kind of stretcher is. What's how does someone kind of reach out to your ministry? Like, what's the protocol for someone that's in the area? Or hey, Darren or Kyle, whoever, I need help. Like, how wh- how do they go about reaching out to you guys? Out to you guys.
1: Sure, sure. Um, uh, Sean, are you still there? I'm going to get a hold of Sean because Sean, I want you to give out Hope Recovery Center number and information. Okay. Um, sure. I'd be glad to go ahead. It's nine, five, one, six, nine, four, two, nine, four, two, or you go to our website, which is hope recovery center, Inc. inc. Org. right on. So, wow. you know, if no matter what kind of need you have, you can contact Sean. Me personally, um, I'm a certified drug and alcohol counselor. Um, right now, I'm actually managing a sober living house. So we got nine guys in there, and that's a, a busy job for me, but it's very gratifying. Um, if anybody's hurting, you're dealing with depression or addiction issues or any of that, um, you can contact me personally. My cell phone number is 818 612. 4304. That's 818-612-4304. Darren McBee, just call or text me directly and I'll do whatever I can. If you need placement in a sober living house or you need help getting into a rehab center or you just want to rap, man, you want to get together and talk. um, I find that the most effective. Um, I love helping people.
0: I love counseling people. So I will be at your disposal. I'm kind of blown away. Not that you're so open and out there about that, but here you talked about at the start of this interview, the your hardships, the death, the the divorce, all this stuff. You carry the weight of this through your life, whether it's law enforcement, acting, uh, whatever it is, and here you are that carrying your weight, but willing to take out the weight of others. And I think it's there's not enough people in this world today that are willing to kind of sacrifice maybe some of the sanity you have or Man, I can spend more time with my kids or family right. or me time. But here you are, man. I gotta get this person in the house. I'm gonna be late for the interview, John. I gotta get, I gotta help this person. That's the that is the coolest thing to hear. That you're always thinking about other people first, and it, it, it right. really is rewarding just to watch you do that.
1: Thank you. I really, I really appreciate that. And it's rewarding for me too. believe me. There's a, there's a selfishness about it in a sense, but you know, like I, it's just super gratifying and and knowing that I can be there for somebody that says, you know, I was, I was literally thinking about killing myself, you know, and, or going drinking a bottle of booze until I, you know, something bad happened. And then said you changed my, my attitude. And, you know, even if it's just for a day, I'm so thankful I can be there for people and help people, um, you know, so yeah, I, I, it's very gratifying, I'm very thankful to do it.
0: Uh, so before I let you go, obviously uh, people reach out to your social media or they can actually call you now. Uh, but any projects or anything in the works here coming up that where people can anticipate stuff kind of coming out as we kind of wake up from this uh, two-year slumber? Slumber. Sure,
1: um, definitely. The ES- There's an ESPN documentary coming up. Uh, I don't know the title for it, but it's about the American Gladiators. It's kind of a retrospective. It's going to be a 30 for 30, which is one of their big – Awesome big big deal previews so um, I'm going to get a lot of footage on that I mean I was super blessed uh, those guys followed me around everywhere and we had a great time and um, they are just a class act those people at Vice TV are wonderful people and I can't say enough and if it's okay with you I'd like to give a shout out to uh, my new bride Alicia McBee. we got married in Puerto Vallarta Mexico um, on September 28th and actually filmed by ESPN which will be on the documentary so um um, I love you, honey, and I know you're going to be checking this out. And uh, so I'm really thankful that you have me on today, my friend.
0: That's awesome. And, uh, congrats on the uh, the wedding. That is super awesome. Thank
1: you, man. Thank, Thank you. Thank you,
0: Darren, for everything. Uh, you Talk bet. to you later. Brother. All
1: right. God bless you, yeah. John. Take care, man. All right, bro.
0: Thank you all for checking out this week's episode. Once again, I'm John. If you like what you heard it, and saw today, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And check out our brand new merch store with hats, coffee bugs, t-shirts, other cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Again, thank you all for support. Be safe and see you next week.